it could be a, it could be a long list. I had absolutely no idea about anything, to be honest. Advice for this would actually be, if you are going to start, by working for someone else, if you can. Work for someone else. So if your company doesn't employ you, you don't have to worry about that extra stuff to begin with. Come in, kind of start coaching, figure it out as you go. It might mean you get paid a little bit less than you pay would working for yourself or whatever. But it's worth it because you get to come in, you don't have coaching skills, you can learn about this business stuff on the side. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today I'm lucky enough to have Ben Griffith as our guest. He is the manager of Strength and Conditioning. And our discussion for today, we've revolved around how to create a successful career path in the private sector. So for all the strength and conditioning coaches, personal trainers tuning in, listening in live, feel free to hit below to send in your questions. And I'm sure we'll find some time throughout. But thanks for jumping on, Ben. Really looking forward to the chat. No problem. Thank you for having me on. How's it feel to be on the, the guest side? I know you've got your own podcast as well. Easier or? Yeah, the guest, you get prompted and you just do what you told him. And for those that aren't aware of your work, you've built a, a strong brand online, but I guess take us to the very beginning, mate. What age did you sort of discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning and, and uh, yeah, what's, what experience have you done from then to now? I don't know the exact age, but like most, I kind of started just love sport when I was young. I guess still do and just played a heap of different. And then I kind of found training through sport, really. Somehow I couldn't tell you exactly how, but somehow I kind of ended up realising that I wasn't the most talented athlete ever, but I realised if I trained my ass off, it would kind of help bridge that gap between me and more talented people. I think that was where my kind of love of training came from. It kind of started when I was younger, yeah, by realising it would help me with sport, and then it kind of just grew and grew and grew from there. So then I finished, then when I finished school, I kind of knew I wanted to do something in sport, or something around, something to do with training, something to do with sport, something like that. At this point, I realised my aspirations of being a professional athlete were gone. So I kind of had to figure something yep. else out. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I ended up enrolling in a – so I grew up in Morga, Ended up enrolling in a undergraduate – it was called Coaching Science at the time, but essentially an exercise science degree in Canberra. I moved to Canberra and did that undergraduate degree. Then at the end of that degree, I kind of still didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like anyone who's done exercise science, we will tell it's kind of vague. It kind of covers – a lot of stuff without being super specific or pushing in the real direction. And I still wasn't probably fully aware of the option of being an s It never really kind of came completely clear to me until we further down the track. So I ended up doing, I ended up then enrolling in a, a um, master's in exercise physiology. I did that, then I graduated as an EP. Then I worked as an EP for a few years. And then I kind of, I, I liked it, but I knew by the those couple of years, I kind of decided SNC was what I wanted to be doing. I kind of ended up just I was exploring a few different options. At this time, I kind of started just consuming every bit of content and purchasing all different educational resources around SNC and just reading nonstop and watching different DVDs at the time. It's a bit of a throwback for you. Mm. And then I just decided stuff and I was going to take a lead. Started looking for internships in SNC. I figured I needed to get some practical experience before I kind of dove in. I couldn't really find much in Australia, but someone else who I talked to told me to look over in the US. So I started looking at internships with our colleges in the US. I got so lucky. I ended up jaying an internship 
in the US at the University of South Carolina with their football yeah, team. Right. So they're, for those that are college football fans, they're a Division One college football team. When I was over, at the time, over there at the time, they were kind of borderline top 25, which is a big deal. So they were like a very rich, very professional type setup. So that was amazing. I spent three months over there. We just working every day, which was an unbelievable experience. It's pretty cool. Some of the guys that I was working with over there are now playing. Yeah, okay. That's an awesome experience. How did that come about? Just literally from an email or? So if you go onto the College Strength and Conditioning Association website, they advertise internships through there. And I literally just went on there and just applied to somewhere between 10 to 15 of them. And back to me and said they don't take international. I'd probably say half of them didn't get back to me and about another three or four back to me saying they don't take internationals. I was just really lucky that this one got back to me and was like, yeah, uh, happy to take you on pending like a interview and a, little, a few other little things we had to do. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I honestly thought when I first applied, I was like, oh yeah, this will be a cool experience to go through. And then when they take the next round of internships, I'm fully ready for it. So I was expecting to not get one initially. And I just got so lucky that someone accepted me. And then yeah, I went and spent three months over there in Columbia here in South Carolina. That was it was unbelievable. I learned so much. I was just very lucky that some of the athletes actually went to the NFL, which is it's a cool thing to say more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And what would the internship sort of involve? Were you very much just sort of assisting the key guys or were you, did you start to build a bit of responsibility in the program? How did it sort of evolve? It was literally just on the floor coaching every day pretty much. The way they did it, so in the, in the college setting, I think they have 55 players on the books for football. So, so some days you'd have the whole team roll through for sessions in the gym. Now, they had a purpose-built gym just for the football team. It's like a million-dollar gym just for the football team. It was like any, like, S&C coaches heaven. Like, it was just, like, 12 racks down each side, down the back end, all your dumbbells and machines and that sort of stuff. It was amazing. But, yeah, it was literally – they told us when we got there, like, the first week, you guys would kind of sit back and just observe and stuff. But then the first day, the whole team was in there. And you pretty much just have to – so you just kind of just – get thrown thrown to the walls for uh, lack of a better way to say that straight away to kind of sink or swim yeah that's awesome and i imagine that the training would have been a little bit more advanced than the typical training here in australia what you were getting exposed to with with exercise fizz and exercise science yeah and in saying that though it was still relatively simple but these guys were some of the guys were just athletically so gifted some of them were just unbelievable like some of the, in the gym like some of the some of the numbers they were power cleaning and like squatting stuff it was insane which was which was unreal to see. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, what an experience. And then, and so you did that for three to four months, and what what eventuated after that? Then I came back. So then I came back to Australia. I was still I managed to then go back to doing EP work for a while. When I came back, and then I kind of just started scouring around. At this point, I kind of decided that I wanted to get out. So mm-hmm. I, which is another interesting point. I never even had the private sector mentioned to me as an option when I was at Union stuff. It was only through talking to other coaches and through my own kind of learnings that I kind of discovered that it even existed or was an option. And then, yes, yeah, so I kind of decided that was the route I wanted to go down. And then I literally just started talking to – so I was still in Canberra at that time. So I just started talking to a few different gyms and started weighing up options, whether I could try and go and work with someone or start my own business or how I do it. And I was just very lucky at the time that Real Fit, so the gym I'm still at now, had kind of an opening for a coach. So I managed to just – Bag a role there, coaching casually. I started there, and literally, then the rest is kind of history. I just kind of built up from there to the point I'm now, pretty much. Fantastic. And you, you mentioned the sort of crossroads in terms of going down the private sector. Was in America, it's quite 
advance and Australia sort of following down that suit with the private sector. Do you, is, is, was it your experience in America where you thought, okay, that's where I want to go down in terms of seeing the private sector in America or was it just simply seeing the, the demand in elite sport and what, what, what made you didn't, you know, not go down the elite sport room, I guess, when you just got that experience? A little bit of all that thing. I had kind of seen a few guys in Australia that were kind of starting to I just liked the, and yeah, when I was in the US, US, I kind of got to learn more about, well, I'd already started kind of looking into a bit, kind of to learn more about the private sector in the US when I was over there, through talking mm-hmm. to people who'd actually been to some of the, I didn't get to do a lot of traveling into the go and see stuff, because pretty much the day I got there, the internship started the next day, and then I finished the day before I flew out, and I was pretty much like working like every day, almost the whole time I was over there. Yeah. So I didn't get to travel around too much, but I talked to people, like one of the guys who I interned with over there, he also interned at Mike Wells, quite a few little cool things like that. And some of the guys there, I think, had been to Eric Cressy, one of Eric Cressy's gyms and things like that. So kind of got good insights over there about the way the American private sector worked and that kind of then just kind of helped further light that far as well, I guess you could say. Yeah, and why do you think it's not mentioned much at universities or do you like the, the private sector? I think it is now. It was quite a while ago when I was a uni, so I think it is mentioned more now. I think at the time it was just because it was small. And yeah. A lot of the stuff you learn at university is tailored towards elite athletes. I think that's naturally just what they tend to talk about. And yeah, I don't think there was much of a market. I think there was much of a private sector back then, so it probably just wasn't. And you mentioned Eric Cressy and Mike Boyle, who, who, I guess that's a good segue. Who else have been some strong influences, if you like, or, or mentors that helped shape your coaching philosophy? Those two guys and Joe Franco. Externally, from, for people that I've never met, those three have probably had a pretty big influence. When I said when I was back in the day when I kind of decided this is what I was going to do, I literally bought every single resource Joe Franco has available, every, every single Mike Wells got, a heap of stuff from, like, consumed a heap of stuff from Eric Cressy as well. So I literally just went into everything that those guys had. And then, then also started learning about guys in Australia as well. So if you guys like uh, Christian Woodford was really good, well, it was really good to me. Guys from an outside looking point, maybe some of the places like Athletes Authority and these types of guys that put out really good content, kind of just picked a couple of things from them as well. So it's kind of a scattering. And then also, the other one would be the people that I work with. So I'm pretty lucky that the other coaches that I work with here kind of have kind of varying skill sets. So it's kind of cool to be able to draw runs, different bits of conversation about this stuff every day. We kind of just constantly learn things off each other, which is cool. Yeah, great environment. Mm. Some big names there for sure for people to check out if they haven't heard of them already. Some great resources and, yes, yeah, people that I've been lucky enough to, to work with or, or liaise with as well. In terms of career moments that sort of spring front of mind that you're proud of, mate, are there some that, You'd like to share? Obviously, the American team, that's cool. That would be kind of something that I always, even now, it kind of feels surreal to think they actually did that. Just packed up all my stuff and just went over there for three months. Like, So that's something I always kind of look back on pretty fondly. Yeah. As, like I said, it just seems surreal that I even did it. And then the fact that I've kind of just, from a more global standpoint, I guess the fact that I've just stuck it out in the industry and kind of built uh, things, built to where I am now. Because it's not, it's not an easy industry to be. It can be quite demanding and frustrating times even still to this day so just the fact that i've kind of stayed through that is definitely something I'm proud of and there's like little things as well that kind of don't sound as big and impressive but so things like like when i first started to try and get athletes in the door i kind of did a, a scholarship an athlete for free essentially but the first girl i had was she was borderline she was, rugby player. She was borderline kind of rumbies at the time just like two or three months but i ended up coaching for a year because we got along so well she just made such good progress. So the things that I learned from 
and we're still good friends to this day, like, just because of, of and I reckon she helped me as much as I helped her at that point in my career, having someone to be able to coach consistently with, with that sort of specific goal for that period of time, mm. like, it was just invaluable. And just from a personal standpoint, yeah, it was just like, we just really got along really well, and then kind of, they're still friends to this day. So there's little things like that that I, like, kind of look back on as well, and I'm quite proud of. Yeah, that is... I guess coaching development ideas as well as giving back to, to athletes trying to make their way. Did that scenario sort of come naturally? It's just something you thought you'd give a go when developing your business and building a client base, or it's something that a mentor had recommended. You know, you've got to give some sort of freebies first to try and build your build your name. Or yeah, so talk, take us through that. I guess from a mindset point of view, is it something you're just trialing out and experimenting, or is it something that has been tried and tested? No, it was definitely just like I think it was. Good opportunity to kind of like you say kind of give back to someone else and then also from a personal point of view get the type of clientele in the door that i was looking for and start getting that experience yeah with with athletes who are quite serious about what they're doing great learning there for for young snc's and, and even personal training as well so sort of crossover you could you could apply that to any business i guess giving if you give you'll, you'll tend to receive whether it be from a learning point of view or, or from a development point of view and even sometimes financial as well when you when you're lucky and what about flip side mate some challenges that you faced along the way you mentioned a little bit there touched on in terms of how it's not an easy industry and there is a lot of high turnover where people probably do it for a year or two and then find something else yeah what have been some of those challenges both from a business point of view as well as coaching and have you sort of, what have you learned, what have you grown from, from facing them? The, the biggest challenges are definitely everything to do with business. So say you go to uni, you get taught all of the stuff about coaching, you get taught all the anatomy, all tells you that one of the tough things about being in the private, you are, particularly if you run your own business, um, if coming to a business that's already kind of well established, it might not be as, as difficult. But if you run your own business or work yourself in some capacity, you're essentially responsible for, for everything. So you're responsible for getting people in the door. You're responsible for coaching them. You're responsible for all that. So it's very, very, it almost takes quite a bit of courage to do it because if you're not good at what you do, people aren't going to keep coming back back, and you're not going to succeed. So you're kind of a lot of industries, but in particular, like these types of service-based industries, you have to be good at what you do. If you're not good at what you do, no one's going to pay you to do it. So, so definitely one of the challenges, everything to do with business, marketing people up all the back end stuff all of that sort of stuff is difficult i've been very lucky that like i said like we have a good team here so we kind of all work through that stuff together but if you were in if you were a coach starting your own business you need to like sort that stuff out because you'll spend a lot of time outside of coaching and working trying to do all that stuff if you don't know what you're doing and then in general just a lifestyle so i think in the beginning you have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit away from coaching with your personal life. So, so you have to be willing to show up early, stay late, uh, just because of the nature of the industry. Most people train in early morning, late afternoon. So you have to be willing to work those hours and sacrifice a little bit from a personal standpoint in the beginning. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to last. It's just the way it is. It'd be nice if we all just show up and train people from 9 to 5, but that's not, not a reality. It's not how it works. So getting, as you kind of progress more, trying to swing that back the other way, and kind of take big, take back a bit of that, establish a better work-life balance, I guess it's probably the best way to put it, as you go through. Because initially you do have to sacrifice, then it's kind of commit the other way as you go. That, that's been a challenge. Then I would also say from a personal standpoint, the communication aspect of coaching, from I guess a bit more of a technical coaching point of view, that's another one that you kind of don't get prepared for. One of the things I didn't do well when I was a uni, I didn't do a lot of 
practical coaching, particularly not in like one-on-one stuff. The first time you show up to do a session and you're, you're training some, you do a lot of stuff with Gen Pop as well. So you might be training, say, a, a 40-year-old lady who's gone through a divorce and you're sitting there talking to her and she's like telling you all these problems, asking you all these questions about her life and you're essentially sitting there as like a early 20-year-old trying to like work your way through this conversation. Like it's tough when you first start. And, and I, can, yeah. I was not very good at the communication side of things to begin with at all. So that's something I kind of work on as well. Yeah, no, it's all relevant though, particularly with the topic, and it's probably a good segue to start in terms of the, uh, how to be, you know, build a successful business in the private sector. I guess to kick it off, not only have you been in the career in the industry for a long time, but it sounds like you've been at Real Fit for a good period of time, and, and that's probably something that I've noticed, or, or certainly I experienced when I was in the private sector. Was I sort of moved around a lot from either a CrossFit gym and rented there, and then a fitness first, and then a PT studio. And so, what's sort of the setup at Real Fit for those that haven't worked in the private sector before? Is it like a rent basis? Are you an employee? Has that changed over the years? And and what have you loved about being involved in? And then I guess we'll go into how you can set up your, how you create your own business as well outside of Real Fit. But yeah, what have you enjoyed about Real Fit? Yes, to go for the in terms of the way the employment structure works. First of all, so I, when I first started, I was casual, worked as casual, so submit a time sheet, paid for what you do. It was a very, very basic setup. Then, as I went down the tr- track and eventually kind of worked my way into the manager role, then I became now a contracted, I a full time contract under the business. Yeah, so everything I do business wise is through Real Fit, yeah. Right. And it, do you have to, along the way, have you had to find your own clients? Like when you were offering that free service, was that of your own bat or? How did that sort of work with building your own client base? Or is that something that Real Fit give you clients and then you also find your own clients? And is there a different financial gain if you find if you bring a client in before you were a full-time employee, of course? So in regards to the first part, a little bit of both. So obviously the business would get general inquiries that would kind of be distributed through the different coaches. But then there was always kind of a little bit of an expectation of at least doing something to try and bring in business. Because being a small business, it's not like there's Marketing budget kind of takes, and this is something that's kind of evolved over time as well. It kind of takes a combined effort to kind of have a business out there and bring in clients. Yeah. So it's definitely a little bit of both, a little bit from the business and a little bit myself. And what age, or not what age, but I guess at what point did you start to recognize the importance of social media and I guess organic search? Pretty much when I started here at Real Fit. So about well, maybe five years ago or something like that, I kind of to, so prior to that, I don't reckon I had, I think I posted on social media about twice. Like, like I just, like personally, I just couldn't really care less about it, to be honest. I didn't mind going on there and like scrolling through and stuff, but I was not the type of person that posted anything. I couldn't tell you exactly what, but then I just kind of realized that way to build that kind of reach, like there was nothing that just had the reach that social media has. So it was just such an easy way to start to get your name out there and easy and free. So I just kind of clicked along the way and then I started to look into some stuff by marketing stuff as well through people like so I listened to a lot of his stuff back in the day and kind of ended up just getting on the social media train through for someone that is still in that sort of mindset where perhaps that they don't have any motivation for social media and they don't really see the value in it what what's your motivation to yeah, build a brand what I guess what are some of the benefits of of having a brand for in the fitness industry get your name out there and you no direct hunting about it, there's no direct ROI so there's no it's not if you can say, you sit down and say, this is my direct return on investment. Because I don't look at it as a thing that necessarily, like, if I do this and post this many times, can bring in this many. It's very much 
much onus on that from the point of view that it's a long-term strategy. So you're just consistently putting yourself out there, so much just seeing what comes of it. Obviously, attracting clients is uh, uh, is a part of it, and probably arguably the most important part. The other things that come from it, things like this, like the networking, uh, referrals, sometimes as well. You get referrals. I've got quite a few referrals from other coaches who I've never heard of, never actually spoken to in person, but just through social media, we've chatted a bit, and they've had someone an athlete who's moving to Canberra, and they'll call me up and be like, oh, I want this person to come and train with you. So, like, there's all these little extra things that come with it that you don't even think. And you mentioned that the reach, it's, you know, hard to even replace. And once you started committing to it and, and watching Gary V, you, you know, developed your way and, and started consistently putting out content, what was the moment where you realised that this long-term approach is the way to go, I guess? When, when did the penny drop? Was it because you got a client or because of an external coach or... Or is it just a mixture of a few things where you realise, yeah, this is definitely an impactful thing to do? Uh, I guess once it started to grow a little bit, once I kind of got a bit of positive feedback, I've been pretty lucky. I've had a lot of negativity thrown my way through social media, which is, pretty, which is probably just lucky more than anything. So mm-hmm. it's always been quite positive, which I guess kind of spurs you on a bit. But a big part, I would say, is just my personality as well. I'm pretty stubborn, and once I kind of build something into my routine so I kind of have it set up so that it's part of what I do so uh-huh. that, so it's just something that I don't even really think twice about I just do it so and then once we became part of my routine then I'm like I said I'm very stubborn and love, love a good routine so once it's in there it's just going to stay there for- that's good it'd be good to dive into that routine so are you someone that if you were to start again would you you know what would be your social media of choice would it be go for all of them and go for, and just chip away at it would it be Get one down pat first, and and build that to a point where it's rolling, and then add a new one to it. So I guess that aspect from it we'll start with in terms of for someone that hasn't got that brand, they've got no followers. Where, where would you start? I reckon, yeah, I think wherever you feel comfortable. I, I don't think the platform matters too much as long as it's like one of those bigger. But I would say the most important thing is just so wherever the first wherever you feel comfortable starting, start out there and then go from there because obviously quite a daunting thing to do and in whatever medium you feel comfortable doing if you feel comfortable writing write if you feel comfortable talking from camera talk if you feel comfortable, comfortable putting up pictures put up pictures whatever to get started and then over time and then it just kind of becomes normal and then from there you could branch out to other platforms so i would say whatever platform someone feels most comfortable to start with and then expand out from there as you start to feel more comfortable uh posting and then from a scheduling point of view, it's definitely something I've noticed. Your, your consistency is at a high level. So let's talk about that rigid routine that you said you've got that you commit to. What does that look like? Is that you know, Are there themes to each day in terms of content creation day to publish day or is it more fluid when you go by feel of like, I, I've got a couple of hours free here, I'm going to create some content? My work hours vary day-to-day. So I can just fit it in where I can. But I just know that there's certain things that I want to tick off and roughly how long it's going to take me. Another thing as well is that I'm actually pretty good with it. So notifications turn on for anything. I only go on there when I want to go on there, which is a big thing because I obviously spend quite a bit of time on there. So I don't want to be getting notifications and being prompted to go on there more. So I'll kind of, I know I can break it down into like specific platforms if you want. Say like, I kind of think about it in ways of who you're communicating to. So say LinkedIn and Twitter, you're talking more to other s coaches or other allied health professionals. So mm-hmm. the themes of stuff I'm going to talk about are going to be quite similar. 
So often I post the same thing on LinkedIn and the same thing on Twitter. Sometimes I might change the way it's written a bit for Twitter because Twitter likes things to be a bit more edgy and controversial, that sort of thing. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. so, but yeah, but it's about the audience. So like on, yeah, like I said, on LinkedIn, Twitter, you're talking more to either other allied health professionals or other S&C coaches. So the way you word things and the topics you talk about are going to be things that are relevant to them. And a simple thing that I've kind of think about is just the day-to-day things that I struggle with or the day-to-day thing, the realities of being coached. So it's kind of like just, just a lot of it's just drawn upon from that. So if I'm like thinking about something like, like Jesus is hard or this is annoying me, then I'll be like, oh, I should just write about that. And that's where a lot of it comes from, to be honest, just day-to-day. And then if you go over to other platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, these are ones where you're more talking to, you're going to word things on there. I mean, other coaches still see stuff on there as well, obviously, but I look at those ones as more talking to, so the way you word things, the way you frame things, is going to be different to how you would talk to other coaches about it. So it's just keeping that in mind as well, about who you're talking to, and just being specific to that audience. And do you bank content? So for those that you mentioned, uh, there'll be a moment where you're struggling with something and you thought, oh, this could be, you know, there must be some other coaches that are struggling with this too that will resonate. Do you just quickly write that down in your phone or in a notepad or something and then post it? Or do you just, once you've thought of it, you get out the phone and post it there and then? Depends. So if I have time maybe, but then I just have notes. I do have a note section in my phone for it and I'll just jot little notes down and be like, oh, this is a good thing to talk about, all that sort of stuff. Another thing too that's probably underrated is reposting stuff. A lot of the time if you don't have much time or anything like that, you go back a couple of months and just post something that you posted previously. Yeah, just and repost I think is serious sort of underrated because you think about it, right? You probably went on social media this morning. Things you actually remember from say like that someone posted or from someone's story or something, or even from yesterday. So yes. like no one's going to remember if you posted something two or three months ago and you reposted. I've had people comment the same comment almost on something that I posted once and posted another three months later and they pretty much commented the same thing on it again, like positive. Being like, oh, this is great. I'm not going to forget this or something like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think like, being, yeah, you will. I'll post it again yeah. in three months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think being nicer to yourself times as well and being okay with like reposting stuff. Because the way the algorithms that work too, you don't know, you don't really know who's seen what you put up um, unless you go into metrics person by person. So, and your following changes over time. So, like, I think reposting is something. And what about from an engagement point of view? Like, how have you sort of developed? To, to make your content sort of stand out and, and, and get that and gain that engagement because I guess once someone's got the consistency down pat and they've, they've valued social media now but it's pretty competitive, how do you sort of stand out from the rest and make sure that, you like you said, you work with the algorithm of each social media platform and your stuff gets seen? It sounds corny, but I think just being yourself, that's how you add your spin to it uh, because the, thing, the other thing I'd say on this as well is first of all is I wouldn't get too caught up, particularly when you first start, I wouldn't get too caught up on the engagement. My advice someone would be start doing it and just commit to doing it once a week, twice a week, once a day, whatever you're going to commit to, and just do it. Don't, don't worry about the engagement or anything to begin with. You can worry about that later. Once you get in the habit, because you're not going to be good at it at first. Same thing. First time you do anything, first time you do a lift in the gym, you suck at it. It takes practice to get better at it. So I wouldn't even worry about that to begin with. Just start doing it, and eventually over time you'll naturally start to get better and the engagement will start to go up. The thing about that is as well, if you be yourself, if you're going to so you're going to attract people that are similar to you and you're going to work really well with because people that get to know you and like your stuff are going to be the people that you're probably going to be able to connect well with from a coaching standpoint or from a networking standpoint. I would say the way you kind of separate yourself and make a difference is simply by being self. And that is actually hard and daunting at first, but then the more you do it, the more you kind of become 
okay with just yeah just doing it your own way for someone that's starting out that's that has built they've got their business going they've got their marketing going on on instagram and tiktok and and their whole focus at the moment is to gain clients what's your thought process in okay like you do LinkedIn and Twitter and you do that for allied professionals to, to see your content. I imagine there's no business in, in that. So what's the sort of benefits in, you know, speaking to that audience? Again, things like this. So you get to meet kind of other people in the same field as you. You get to learn off them. And the business thing is interesting one because similar to what I was talking about before, I have had referrals from other coaches. I have met through LinkedIn, not so much Twitter because Twitter's a bit weird, but definitely through LinkedIn. Like I've had a few referrals from coaches who are interstate to Canberra and they kind of know that I'm in Canberra just through seeing the name on LinkedIn every day. So then they kind of, you kind of pop into their head. So there is that little bit of business that comes that. That one's just kind of about networking with other coaches in general. It's just cool to meet other people who do the same thing you do. You got to talk shop with them and yeah, and learn off them and you can kind of hopefully help them at times as well. It's just nice having a network to be able to reach out to people. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, what about from, from, you mentioned the importance of business skills. So there's a fair bit in a coach starting out especially with social media these days, you've got to build your own brand. You've got to get your clients in and be a good coach to retain them. And then, of course, you've got to have your, your business town, Pat. What would be some key learnings that you sort of wish you knew when you started or you wish that your university sort of built awareness around or educated you on when you're starting out a business? It could be a, uh, could be a long list. I had absolutely no idea about anything, to be honest. My advice for this would actually be, if you are going to start, work for someone else, try and learn from them. So if you come in as an you don't have to worry about that extra stuff to begin with. You can come in, kind of start coaching, figure it out as you go. It might mean you get paid a little bit less than you potentially would working for yourself or by yourself or whatever, but it's worth it because you get to come in, build up your coaching skills, you can learn about this business stuff on the side, and then once you're ready, you can transition into working for yourself because I obviously just think that's too much for you to come. Unless you've been prepping like crazy, I guess, through uni, but I think it would be very hard for somebody come straight out of uni, depends on your age too and previous experience, I guess. But say you're a 20s graduating uni, I think it'd be very hard to start your own business straight away. It's almost too hard to name all the things, all the things that you kind of need to learn. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, tax, like, tax. I mean, I guess you're managing your schedule, tax. Yeah, all these things you just have no idea about. And what do you feel like are the sort of latest trends for those working in the private sector from a strength initiating coach looking to work and either be employed by someone or, or work for themselves? What are some important things to to work on it from a coaching perspective to sort of stand out? I would, the first thing I'd say is actually get really good at coaching. So there's a big trend, obviously, with online stuff. There's a lot of people almost just going straight to coaching people online. Some people are super successful at it. I think it's more to do with people having very good genetics and very good bodies to kind of almost use to sell their programs. But I think you can't skip that step of actually coaching people face-to-face. I think the best thing... The most important thing is just to get in and actually coach a lot and actually get really good at it. Then from there, you kind of branch out and worry about other things. Because if you don't have those hard coaching skills, I mean, the rest of it's kind of doesn't really matter, to be honest. Do you think that you need to develop like a specialty at some point in your career? Like you mentioned at the start, just with the social media mindset is just get in a habit and, and consistently put it out there and you'll learn and grow as you go. And But from, from a coaching perspective, is it a similar thing, like become a bit of a generalist at the start and then is there value in specialising in perhaps maybe you're the Olympic weightlifting guy or girl or you're the body composition person or is that something that is successful or is it more case by case? I think start as a generalist and go from there because you kind of have your own interest too. So like I think part of it is what you're, you're going to be doing 
something you don't like. You might hate it, but not enjoy working with that clientele in that area. So, so you know if you like it or not. So, def- definitely go with these stars in general and kind of do everything and then kind of niche down as you go. So once you've kind of had a taste for, for working with different clients and working towards different goals and that sort of thing. Yep. And then working to the position you're in now as a manager of the gym, what is the what does your schedule look like there? Like you mentioned, the, the challenges of when you're sort of working as a private coach for a client base, it's early mornings and late nights. Is that now nine to five for yourself now? And then also from there, are you still coaching as the manager or are you more looking on developing the staff and the, the business side of the of the of Real Fit? So for the first time for my schedule, it's kind of varied through the week. As I said earlier, it kind of varies day to day up to a certain number of hours throughout the week. And because yes. I do still coach, it will vary a little bit week to week sometimes, depending on different clients and certain things moving around, different meetings and that sort of stuff. But yeah, so it's that split of coaching and then also doing the management stuff as well. Very good. Well, we'll start to wrap up the show, mate, but is there anything on building a private business as an S&C that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share for, for listeners, particularly, I guess, for strength edition coaches starting out? or perhaps those that have got a current business that they want to try and take the business to the next level? One thing I would say, though, is you just have to be resilient and be willing to commit to for a decent period of time. It is definitely the type of industry where there's a lot of turnover. So I think it's not one of those things where you can do it for a week and then be like, oh, this is crap. So is everything. So I think you have to kind of be resilient initially. Yeah, like I said, be willing to sacrifice a bit personally if that's, not, if that's actually what you want to do. If you don't, if you don't love it, I don't think it lasts very long. It's probably yeah. the simplest way to think about it. So I think it's just deciding, do you, are you willing to kind of listen to me to be able to do it? Yeah, 100%. And you can see like, some of the key takeaways already that I've – like the, the ability, to, like you said, to be strong-willed and stick it out and learn from, from those experiences – but also that approach of you can see that you've gone through phases of your career where you've yeah. gone out of your comfort zone and learned new skill sets like social media where you didn't like posting, obviously, but once you saw the value in it, yeah, you, you built up that brand. So, yeah, some great takeaways for, for listening. Moving to the last three questions, mate, what, what are your pet peeves in, from the industry point of view? Is there anything that sort of fires you up, makes you angry? Uh, oh, probably a few things. Anything that, like, annoys my, my OCD-ness or, or messes with my routine, things back is definitely always annoying but i'm not too bad to be honest like there's not not, not a lot that really annoys me i guess it's more of a person thing i say seeing people who are not not good people in a um gym setting that just ruins other people's experiences we're pretty lucky where we are that we kind of have a small facility and we kind of ruin the community so it's probably that's one of the things that knows me most if you go to go to a um, commercial gym and you see those people who you just just ruin everyone else's experience that really annoys me yeah yeah, the no dickhead policy is an important one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what about favourite way to spend your day off? I'm pretty, I'm pretty easily pleased, to be honest. So, like, like, just give me a coffee or two or three in the morning, watch some footy, hang out with family and friends, a couple of beers in the afternoon, and then I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty much doomed. Classic Aussie, Aussie day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just did that to stereotype. Yeah. That's great. What about what are you? You know, we're sort of recording this in the middle of the year of 2023. What are you, what's on the horizon for you, Ben? What's what are you most excited about? As corny as it sounds, just generally to uh, keep progressing on with what I'm doing. I would say that assume you guys are all AFL down there. This doesn't mean too much here, but I'd say I'm excited to see the Roosters do well this year. But that's not going to happen. I'd say I was excited to see New South Wales, New South Wales, New South Wales, but that's going to happen either. So pretty much just count down the days till 2024 now. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. 
And for those that want to follow up with some questions, mate, where's the best place to get in contact? Anywhere. Uh, pretty much any social media platform, either be Ben Griffin or Coach Griffin, maybe Coach Griffin 88 on some of them. Yeah, we'll add in all the links to the show notes, guys. So if you're listening to the recording while driving, don't stress you can when you park the car. Well, thanks again, Ben, for jumping on. Really appreciate your time, mate, and, and sharing with us your experiences in how to develop a brand and also be a successful coach in the industry and stick it out. So really appreciate you, you jumping on, mate. No, no problem, man. Thank you very much for having me. And for the listeners that have tuned in live, if you're tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. We dive straight into the good stuff. So you can find this episode on YouTube before we post it on a coming Wednesday in the next couple of weeks. Our next live chat was with Scott Goldman, the performance psychologist of the Golden State Warriors. They'll be next Thursday, the 15th of June at 9am Australian Standard Time. So I'll see you then. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and 
um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, so that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things. Um, cause you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the prepare like a pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.